This is Overlapping Insight, Episode 5. We overlap the world events and movements, including financial reports, with the prophecies and timing of the coming of Christ, including how that will be our source of deliverance, prosperity, relief, comfort, and kindness. We overlap those details with you and your life, how you can be prepared so that you can have power, patience, freedom, vision, choice, and you can respond with kindness to others, no matter what is going on around you. You can see the episodes with each subject section at overlappinginsight.com. On the world subject, we will talk about ESG credit score, loans, business interaction, obedience, and no privacy. On the subject of Christ, we will talk about life after death, return from death experiences, a glimpse beyond death's door. On the subject of you, we will talk about using enticements for spiritual growth. So one thing that I've noticed in my preparation to speak to you on this channel is that I have less fear in defining and getting to the bottom of these dark details of what is going on in the world because we have the promises of Christ. So I think we have a tendency to soften or sugarcoat or even avoid making conclusions whatsoever related to the guts and ugliness of manipulations, devastation, and murder. So the reason I can say that about fear is due to the faith. Faith is a strong belief for things not seen. That Christ has said that he will take us under his wing. He is our deliverance. He will protect us. Even if we die in the middle of all of this, we have eternal life because that is where our focus is. Spiritual, long-term, eternal focus. So the world. I'm hoping to make this short and to the point so we have more time for the conversation about life after death. I have a lot to say about that and it's very intriguing and definitely awesome. But it is also important that we understand our enemy who is trying to control us on a global and overwhelming level. So there's a new credit score that goes beyond your financial good behavior. We are aware of the FICO score that we are used to, right? the one which judges you and me on past and current loans and whether you've missed payments or not. But forget financial responsibility alone anymore. This new credit score has much more to do with your response or attitude to the environment, social justice, and governance obedience. This score has been going on for a few years uh, at least in the corporate world, and now the plan is to apply it to your worthiness to get a loan or to invest with a given company. So there's going to be control. If, can we say if we let that happen or if we just let it happen, I don't know. But we need to keep an eye on it. So <clears throat> here's a quote from Representative Byron Donalds, Republican from Florida. He wrote this in The Hill on March 23rd, 2022. We are now on August 17, 2022. He says, President Biden has his sights on the next tool to push his destructive climate agenda, environmental social governance. ESG scores are based on a host of woke factors, such as a company's carbon emissions, energy consumption, and board diversity, among others. The more woke the company is, the higher the ESG score. The higher the ESG score, the more investable the company is said to be. 
While this Chinese Communist Party-style social credit score was once limited to a few virtue signaling companies, there is a growing effort from the Biden administration to make ESG a mandatory part of doing business in America. So the president is attempting another ultimate workaround by again legislating through federal agency regulation. Knowing these Green New Deal policies could never pass the democratically elected Congress, the Biden administration is trying to shove their radical agenda down the throats of Americans everywhere through unelected and unaccountable bureaucrats. We talked about the world governments, which is what he's referring to there, but I don't think it's President Biden who's pushing this. I think he's being pushed or directed by the global elites. I think we give him too much credit. So the World Economic Forum and the United Nations are involved with promoting the entangling manipulation of the ESG score for corporations and for individuals. See this from the NASDAQ service site. Now this is a service to help you with your ESG reporting and there's a handful of them now out there. So that shows that this has been going on for a while. It says, in September 2020, the World Economic Forum's International Business Council, did you know that existed? That they had some authority over us? I don't know. The International Business Council released its stakeholder capitalism metrics, which draw on an existing set of metrics and disclosures to help companies align their main reports with environmental, social, and governance ESG indicators and track their contributions toward the United Nations SDGs. So they gave it a, an acronym already. So SDG stands for Sustainable Development Goals. So now we are getting goals dictated from the United Nations. By the way, are you aware that the World Economic Forum has made movements to replace the United Nations? So it is not just a forum where, uh, where conversations take place, as the name might innocently infer. This is a movement to create a world government, if not take world government, to new heights and depths. In other words, the world government is formed and nations are following it. So this is enlightening from Andy Puzder. He's a senior fellow from the School of Public Policy from Pepperdine University by, pra uh, so he's doing this for Prager University online system that you can hear these talks from. So let's start with his, uh, his conclusion and then go back to his more detailed explanation. So if somebody tries to sell you on environmental, social, and governance investing, hold on tight to your wallet and to your values. ESG is coming for both. Now he explains that the focus goes from influencing your investment decisions away from making a profit, ironically, to other priorities. See this video. Why do millions of people invest in retirement accounts? Well, the answer is obvious, to have money to live on when you're no longer working. The best way for those accounts to grow is to invest in companies that make a profit. Less profit for those companies means less money for retirement. That might seem like common sense, but it's becoming less common, thanks to a new investment strategy called ESG. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. If you're wondering what that means, you're not alone. Generally, it means that a company's first concern should no longer be how much money it makes, but rather how much social good it does. In other words, get woke or get shamed. If you're an oil company, for example, you're out of luck 
because by the nature of your business, it's assumed you're destroying the planet. Never mind that you're powering homes and hospitals, that doesn't count. In fact, if you're a company just trying to make a profit, you're the problem. ESG proponent Klaus Schwab, chairman of the World Economic Forum, puts it this way, we can't continue with an economic system driven by selfish values, such as short-term profit. The message is clear. We need ESG to save us from ourselves. Really? The pursuit of profits has fueled many of mankind's greatest innovations and greatest companies. Do you remember our conversation in episode two about the World Economic Forum that is bringing together the rich corporation leaders with the public leaders of all nations to track your carbon footprint, create a global digital currency, also a serious tracking method? Uh, so see also episode four of this channel for that digital currency conversation. I know, there is so much going on that we would like to hide our heads in the sand, but hopefully you are seeing that these things are all parts of defining the beast as spoken of in Revelations of the New Testament. We're gonna be talking about that in episode six. We can understand these things. We can also turn our trust to Christ who will deliver us from these things. But let's not ignore these subtleties that are going on, or maybe they are not so subtle that we do take them for granted or we take it for ignoring. So I like what Andy Puzder explains here that capitalism takes care of our challenges around us. The unelected, self-appointed world organizations want a great reset. They act as if they know better to fix us in ways that we can't possibly know for ourselves. So here's this about capitalism. Capitalism is by its very nature conscientious. It turns out then that profit isn't selfish. It motivates us to contribute our talents to help others. ESG threatens this system. By denigrating profit, it lessens the incentive and the means to do good. Without profits, companies won't have the capital to provide jobs, pay investors, or fund innovation. But that's the world ESG wants you to live in, a world where profit takes second place to a preoccupation with income inequality, race and gender sensitivity, and climate alarmism. This is a great explanation then about what they're doing. There are two reasons. So in this next video, there are two reasons Puzzler points out why they're doing this. So if ESG endangers profits, offers no clear metric for success, and is a mediocre investment, why is it even a thing? Well, for two main reasons. First, ESG allows people like Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, the world's largest investment company, to feel good about themselves. It's a get out of jail free card for guilty billionaires. They preen in the New York Times and the rest of us are stuck with the bill. And second, it's about control. ESG enables an enlightened elite to tell everyone else how to run their companies. Submit to ESG or you won't get that loan or that investment, whether or not it's good for your bottom line and your shareholders. He points out that BlackRock, uh, under the direction of the CEO, Larry Fink, for example, wants control. Keep in mind, or maybe this is new information for you, is that BlackRock is one of a handful of the largest investment companies that own such a large percentage of so many industries that they can trigger a supply chain problem they can buy up homes in order to keep them out of the hands of the people. So if we're suspecting that there are all these things being orchestrated today to cause these problems that we will be brought to our knees that we'll finally obey, these are all good evidences. So 
Are you aware of the World Economic Forum's plans for everyone to own nothing and to be happy? They want you to be renting, not owning. ESG is a significantly strong player in the control. Control needs monitoring. Once they know which side you are on, you will have privileges or not. They can control your movements, not just physically in travel, but in your financial movements with your mortgage, business, and any other loan or privileged approval. Not good. So here's a perfect example of selection. Check out this video. Now, here's the kicker. Despite all the good it does for the environment, Tesla has a poor ESG rating. And if that's not crazy enough for you, the controversial oil giant ExxonMobil was listed in the top 10 for ESG companies this year, while Elon's Tesla was straight up kicked out of the list. Elon took to Twitter to express his frustration with the news that his company had dropped out of the S&P 500 ESG index. ESG is a scam. It has been weaponized by phony social justice warriors, he wrote. Elon also shared memes ridiculing the inclusion of six oil companies onto the index and claiming that a good ESG score equates to a company's compliance with the leftist agenda. Certain sectors have questioned the concept of ESG, mostly because it allows companies and investors to escape prosecution for socially irresponsible activities or investments. According to Bloomberg, the world's largest ESG-focused exchange-traded fund has nearly 3.1% of its assets invested in the oil and gas sector, the same sector that is speeding up the climate crisis. The UN may have introduced ESG ratings, but today, the World Economic Forum is one of ESG's biggest supporters. The World Economic Forum, or WEF, is an international organization based in Geneva, Switzerland, that brings together political and business leaders each year to discuss major issues affecting the global economy. So yes, I saw the related news report just the other day that Tesla was taken off one of the stock exchanges due to the ESG score. Well, they didn't admit that it was the ESG score, but we know that that's why it was done. So this is recent. Here is a clip of Glenn Beck in small talk of the big talk on the Pat Gray Show. Let's conclude with this since he states it so directly with some good explanation. So, geez, it is a system that- And it's in place right now. Oh yeah, right? You, so if you have, if you mm -hmm. have a, you know, uh, any kind of 401k where you're investing in an index or anything else, you probably will go to your website, especially if you're JP Morgan Chase, uh, and you will find your ESG score. You have one. And mm. that's critical to understand. So ESG is this system where the banks can't loan you any money if you're a risk to them. So the blaze will be a risk to banks. Mm -hmm. We won't be able to get any loans for anything. Because uh, you have revolve. a really bad ESG score. Correct. Mm -hmm. including revolving credit, which most companies have every single month. It's revolving. You you use it for your payroll. Mm. And then as the next month comes in, you pay that off. And then they give you the, the money just because of receipts, you know, collectibles. Mm -hmm. So you uh, uh, you won't be able to get a revolving payroll payroll loan. You won't be able to go buy a, a house. You won't be able to buy a car. You won't be able mm. to get a loan for anything because one of those three categories, you're <laughs> you're risky. You're not green enough. Okay, your house wow. that you yeah. want to buy is not green enough. Um, you don't agree with social justice. You are outspoken. 
this is for the very first time, they will not use your credit score. Wow. They will use your social justice score. They actually will now scan your Facebook page and your social media, <laughs> depending on who you follow. This is the Chinese model. Yep. This is the Chinese model. And it's already in. It's already done. Hopefully you're putting the pieces together of the big puzzle. In the episodes we have done so far on this channel, Overlapping Insight, we have talked about self-appointed world organizations and we've talked about Jorge Gold, if you pick up on that reference, and his evilness that is symbolic of many other evil men who would love to dominate over you, your family, and your friends. We have talked about the central bank digital currency. So do you see how dangerous the whole combination is of each of these tools they are using to build the big machine? ESG, in fact, could get a score because you spend your money in a particular place that they're monitoring. So, but let's not be dismayed other than being ready to choose against and to fight against and certainly not to be innocently but ignorantly accepting of each of these steps that they're trying to pull off on us, Christ will win, but we must make the effort to be on his side. In the use section of today related to your internal and spiritual strengths, we're going to be talking about using enticements for your spiritual progress, your growth. That infers that we need to be working at staying awake and spiritually focused. We'll be okay if we're on the Christ side. Let's not ignore him and certainly we must not fight up against him. He is trying to get our attention by letting the divisions happen. He needs to know who is on which side. Gone are the days that we can walk in between. Like the Karate Kid Master says, walk on left, okay. Walk on right, okay. Walk in the middle, get squished like great. But even so, we must be walking on the right side of the road. That is Christ's side. So, let's take the welcomed change to speak of the topic of Christ. Life after death, return from death experience, a glimpse beyond death's door. So the common reference is near death experience, but I think that return from death is much more fitting. The people had died, their spirits were separated from their bodies, they saw and felt as a liberated spirit feels in its glorious light, and those interactions that we are going to talk about here is what they will be experiencing. So this is very intriguing and very inspiring. This might just have become one of my favorite subjects, life after death and how death is a birth. Just like our birth on this earth was a departure from our existence before this, where we were just spirits. But now we are here as spirits having a human experience. So when I was a teenager and also when I was in my 20s, I had read about return from death experiences. There are some I did not believe, but most I did believe. They were consistent with the scriptures as I understood them. They are inspiring to make me and us live with more meaning and intention and hope. There are some great life details to look forward to and work towards as we understand what death really is. So remember the conversation about additional scripture of the other sheep that Christ referred to? Look at these maps here. I refer to those who lived in other parts of the world over the centuries. I hope to open your mind and heart up to all the words and works of Christ. There is so much more information and insight. See these maps that indicate that the Bible just covers the area around Israel, Egypt, and Iraq as we know them. But look how vast the earth is and how 
people have been born over the centuries in so many different areas of the world, and they couldn't communicate with one another. They should have also the, the words of Christ. So then notice what a small part of the world that is in comparison. So you see that there. Certainly there must be other sheep as Christ referred to. He said so himself. And remember from episode four, the people of the Tower of Babel that left that area, where did they go? It's a big world. They did leave eventually in ships. They traveled 344 days. We have their records to some degree. Their records were found by people who left Jerusalem in 600 BC. So how did that happen? So I mean the Tower of Babel people's records were discovered by other people that the Lord directed. So the Tower of Babel records were discovered in about 200 BC. Unfortunately, there were battles that killed off our Tower of Babel people, but still there were records of the successes of the Lord's work among them along the way, and that's what we get to learn from. So jumping ahead, these records of the 600 BC Jews who also were led to the shores and eventually were sea-bound to their promised land too, their records were discovered in about 1800 AD. Who discovered those records? Another group of other sheep that the Lord raised up who listened to him. He guided them with his chosen prophet, prophet sorry, his chosen prophet to lead. The same pattern, the same God. People were commanded to write down the works of Christ among them, including the inspired words and teachings of those chosen prophets. We have those writings too. So as we talk about the information that we get from these return from death experiences, we will consider the supporting information that we get from the Bible, our Tower of Babel people, our 600 BC Hebrews, that's what we will call them, and the 1800 AD other sheep that Christ had. Same pattern. So just as we might be asleep on the things of the world, we can also find that we are asleep in the ways of the records of the Lord's people. So here it is. We will talk about the brilliant light that is such a strong source of love and truth. We will talk about spirit bodies, divine love, why suicide makes problems worse and solves nothing. We will talk about the scenery that these people describe, progress of the souls there, and the life review and why death is a mercy after doing all that you can in faithfulness. And we're talking about those who had these return from death experiences. So if it isn't obvious yet, I will tell you, life continues after death. It is entertaining to hear how these people that experienced death were surprised that they were still alive. So let's get right into it right here. Let's consider this one. Uh, this comes from The Return from Silence, page 162. So this is a book about a return from death experience. One experience illustrates, To my surprise, I found that I still had hands and feet and a body, for I had always regarded the soul as something without shape and void. In those days, I had read no spiritualistic books. He's talking about when he lived before his death experience. He's read none of these spiritualistic books on after-death conditions and to find that though I was dead, I still had form. That was so new to me. That's interesting, isn't it? So that comes from a book called The Return from Silence, as I mentioned. And this comes from Emanuel Swedenborg from a book entitled Heaven and Hell. So this is page 70. Um, I can insist the angels are completely people in form. They do have faces, eyes, ears, chest, arms, hands, and feet. They do see each other, hear each other, and talk with each other. In short, nothing proper to man, whatever, is missing, except that they are not clothed with the material body. So isn't that interesting? So 
Dr. George Ritchie, in his own extensive uh, Return from Death experience, recounted in his book, Return from Tomorrow, stated that he did not recognize the body in the bed he had just left. And I quote, Someone was lying in that bed. I took a step closer. He was quite a young man with short brown hair, lying very still. But the thing was impossible. I myself had just gotten out of that bed. For a moment, I wrestled with the mystery of it. So isn't that hilarious that he had that, had that experience? So once Richie recognized his body and realized that he might be dead, he was incredulous that he would exist apart from it. So he says again, but I wasn't dead. How could I be dead and still be awake? Thinking, experiencing, death was different. Death was, I don't know, blanking out, nothingness. I was me, wide awake, only without a physical body to function in. So that's page 47 to 48. Now let's talk about the light. This is interesting, and I quote, Another capacity of the spirit body is its ability to behold the brilliant light of the spirit realms which would blind the human eye. The return from death experiencers seem to be introduced into this light in various ways. Many enter and are effortlessly transported at high speed to what they describe as a tunnel with a light at the end of it. Some seem to float in a calm, restful, and peaceful blackness for a time, or among the stars and planets, and then are drawn overpoweringly toward a pinpoint of light which grows until it engulfs them. Others may perceive the light surrounding them as soon as they leave their mortal body and immediately find themselves in the realms of the spirit. So, uh, as we talk about these things, you have every right to have the Spirit guide you to testify of the truth of these things. I think Heavenly Father wants us to know about this. So here's another quote. Dr. George Ritchie offered a similar observation. The light continued to increase in intensity until it seemed to be equal to a million welders' lights. I knew if I had been seeing through my human eyes instead of those of my spiritual body, I would have been blinded. That comes from a book called My Life After Dying, page 16. But what is most significant is the feeling, the rich, deep, whelming feeling of love and knowledge that comes from that light. So keep in mind that this light is so bright, but the spirit, when you're in the spirit form, just uh, you know, maybe transfigured, and hopefully we'll talk here about Moses and how that happened for him too, uh, that they're able to tolerate that bright light. So I think we're going to be learning more about this. So let's read this here. I became aware of the most powerful, radiant, brilliant white light. I totally absorbed my consciousness. It shone through this glorious scene like the sun rising on the horizon through a veil which had suddenly opened. This magnificent light seemed to be pouring through a brilliant crystal. It seemed to radiate from the very center of the consciousness I was in and to shine out in every direction through the infinite expanse of the universe. I became aware that it was part of all living things and that at the same time all living things were part of it. I knew it was omnipotent, that it represented infinite divine love. It was as if my heart wanted to leap out of my body towards it. It was almost as though I had met my maker. Even though the light seemed thousands and thousands of times stronger than the brightest sunlight, it did not bother my eyes. My only desire was to have more and more of it and to bathe in it forever. It comes from a book called Heading Toward Change, page 66. Um, here's another quote here. 
<clears throat> Dr. Carol Zaleski writes that the light radiates wisdom and compassion that floods the mind, expanding awareness until one seems to comprehend everything in a single gaze. She then offers this exhilarating account from a woman who nearly died in childbirth and then returned to life. It was a dynamic light, not like a spotlight. It was an incredible energy, a light you wouldn't believe. I almost floated in it. I was feeling, feeding my consciousness feelings of unconditional love, complete safety, and complete total perfection. It just powed into you. My consciousness was going out and getting larger and taking in more. I expanded and more and more came in. It was such rapture, such bliss. And then, and then a piece of knowledge came in. It was that I was immortal, indestructible. I cannot be hurt, cannot be lost. We don't have anything to worry about. And that the world is perfect. Everything that happens is part of a perfect plan. I don't understand this part now, but I still know it's true. That comes from Other World Journeys, page 124 to 125. So I need to stop here to emphasize that we need to avoid any temptation to think that if we commit suicide, that we can have this and escape our problems here. But let me tell you, the experience of those who did commit suicide but returned back to life after their experience was not good. So in this book, Glimpses Beyond Death's Door, page 224 to 225, it quotes this. Perhaps the most convincing testimonies of the continuation of the same attitudes and proclivities after death come from those who have had return from death experiences when they have attempted to commit suicide. Invariably, they return with the message that ending their lives would not end their problems, but in fact would only make them worse. Dr. Raymond Moody summarized his research with such individuals. And he quotes here, all these people agree on one point. They felt their suicidal attempts solved nothing. They found that they were involved in exactly the same problems from which they had been trying to extricate themselves by suicide. Whatever difficulty they had been trying to get away from was still there on the other side, unresolved. These people returned to life resolved to do their best to overcome their difficulties while on earth. Virtually all of them say they will never attempt suicide again. And I quote here, no. I would not do that again, determined one man. I will die naturally next time because one thing I realized at that time is that our life here is just such a small period of time and there is so much which needs to be done while we're, you're here. And when you die, it's eternity. And that comes from uh, Reflections on Life After Life, pages 45 and 46. So I love this next one. With compassion, a being of light, talked to a seven-year-old who had committed suicide because no one cared for her. So listen to this one. This is interesting, and I hope you find it inspiring as well. No matter how miserable life may be on Earth, we are responsible to endure to the end. Perhaps near-suicide accounts best illustrate this point. One child learned this lesson at the age of seven, severely abused by both parents. She attempted to commit suicide. She nearly succeeded. As she felt the love and comfort of the light, she also heard a voice say, quote, you have made a mistake. Your life is not yours to take. You must go back. She protested and said, no one cares about me. The answer that followed shocked her, as it should us as well. You're right, no one on this planet cares about you, including your parents. It is your job to care for yourself. Isn't that profound? So I hope you find that as inspiring as I do. This life is short. Let's be faithful. Let's endure to the end. And knowing more about the life after death ought to give us greater faith and patience. Let's lean on the Lord. 
It was his love that led him to take our sins on himself if we will follow him. And it is his resurrection which gives him power to resurrect us. Let's believe Christ and his promises. Let's believe in Christ. There are more examples. Page 252 of Glimpses Beyond Death's Door. Another child who tried to kill himself at 11 years of age received a similar response. Quote, he, the light, was kind but not very sympathetic. He said, well, you'll just have to stick around and see what you can do with your life. That comes from a book called Closer to the Light, page 159 through 161. A third girl who attempted suicide as a teenager was also taught, as we are, that the body is a temple. I was shown the beauty of my body and of every body. I was told that my body was a gift and I was supposed to take care of it, not kill it. So that comes from a book called Transformed by the Light, page 152. How consistent. We've, we've got to feel this, and I hope we can get close to that. And if you're not really feeling this, remember our previous conversation about cleaning out your life and repenting so you can feel the Spirit more. So as a result of being given this direction for their lives, all of these children went on to become happy, giving, productive adults. So, before we go back to the glory of the light that we were describing previously, and particularly the source of love and knowledge that comes from that light, I hope you don't mind if I emphasize that I don't get paid for doing this channel. The YouTube channel is not monetized. There is nothing for sale here. In fact, I pay the cost for the equipment and the time spent. I have no motive but my trust in my God in heaven. I trust in Christ's glory that will be obvious as he comes and the millennium starts. I also believe there is glory in bringing you along. Glory for me to bring you along as I would hope you would learn these great truths and avoid the traps of the worldly that you would recognize that Satan is behind all wickedness and danger. So that brings up a good point, actually, because a lot of these return from death experiences show that this life review actually shows the good things they've done. So, so I hope uh, to help you see, too, that the writings of the Lord's other sheep are true and are as revealing as the Bible writings of what we might refer to as the Israel area of the Mediterranean. We saw how the brother of Jared of the Tower of Babel met the Lord in person because of his faith. But as we are seeing through the return from death experiences that the spirit has to be transfigured, also referred to as quickened. Here's another one which explains exactly what we have learned from those suicide return from death uh, experiences. Again, this is Alma in about the year 74 BC. And I quote, For behold, this life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. Yea, behold, the day of this life is the day for men to perform their labors. And now, as I said unto you before, as ye have had so many witnesses, therefore I beseech of you, I beg of you, that ye do not procrastinate the day of your repentance until the end. For after this day of life, which is given us to prepare for eternity, behold, if we do not improve our time while in this life, then cometh the night of darkness, wherein there can be no labor performed. Ye cannot say, when ye are brought to that awful crisis, that I will repent. I mean, about the time you're to die, right? I will repent. What have you lost all that time becoming something? I will repent that I will return to my God. Nay, you cannot say this, for that same spirit which does possess your bodies at the time that you go out of this life, in other words, death, that same spirit will have power to possess your body in that eternal world. Isn't that interesting? The same set of attitudes, beliefs, habits, and inclinations 
referred to as that same spirit which possesses your body now from your own choices that you've made and the person you become, that you die with all of these characteristics. Because as we have seen, you really don't die, do you? You just change worlds. We have seen that in the good experiences of those who died and came back whose time was not yet. Then those who had committed suicide realized that they just have the same problems they are struggling with, but it is worse. So there it is. I think that we can believe these prophets of the other sheep of the Lord who have written according as he commanded them to keep a record. And I emphasize, any and all words of our Savior Jesus Christ belong to you. So if these other sheep are followers of Christ and Christ has appointed leader prophets among them and he has commanded them to record his revelations and the inspired teachings of these prophets that he's called, they belong to you. I believe them or I wouldn't share them with you. They have affected my life and given me inspiration. I hope you believe them too and that you can truly feel them. So let's take a more recent writing. We refer to the other sheep who also have a prophet called of God in the 1800s. AD. We have their writings from that time period too. So what are those writings that have anything to do with what we have learned about the return from death experiences so far? Here's one. Uh, it says here, the glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. So let's call that, uh, according to the writings of our other sheep and from the Bible, we'll call that the book of Joseph. That is a great description of what the return from death experiences, experiencers have described as a light that is so bright when they die. They feel the love and truth and knowledge. That is the glory of God is described here as intelligence. We will refer to the writings of the other sheep as the book of Joseph, as I mentioned, in order to be consistent with the names we've already seen, such as Isaiah, Matthew, John, and Alma, because they have all been witnesses. So as we gather all these witnesses and they shed more and more light or clarify the Bible, that's a beautiful asset to have for us, right? A gift. So let's go back to the return from death experiences. This is from the Glimpses of Beyond Death's Door, page 9091. Some of those who have returned from death experiences, usually Christians, seem cognizant that Jesus is light and is the source of light. Dr. George Ritchie believed that he met the Christ in his after-death journey. He described him in terms of light. Quote, I stared in astonishment as the brightness increased, coming from nowhere, seeming to shine everywhere at once. All the light bulbs in the hospital ward couldn't give off that much light. All the bulbs in the world couldn't. It was impossibly Right. It was like a million welder's lamps all blazing at once, and right in the middle of my amazement came a prosaic thought, probably born of some biology lecture book of the university. Quote, I'm glad I don't have a physical eyes at this moment, I thought. This light would destroy the retina in a tenth of a second. No, I corrected myself. Not the light. So he's referring to, it's not just a light, he said, he. He, meaning Christ, would be too bright to look at, for now I saw that it was not light, but a man who had entered the room, or rather, a man made out of light. Though this seemed no more possible to my mind than the incredible intensity of the brightness that made up his form. So this is a good time to point out a principle 
that I have believed for a long time, and that is confirmed here, as a second witness at least, that we don't currently have this strong and engulfing light of love and truth and knowledge because we are in a test to see what we will choose. But to start with, as we are born, we are given some part of that light, a degree of the light of Christ. So this is very interesting, and I think uh, we can believe this and handle this as a reality as we describe it. So we are not left alone. We are given sufficiently enough of this light to exercise faith in what we feel and to continue to add to it. So check this out. This is page 91 on uh, the glimpses from death's door. Because the light of Christ is in and through all things and is the source and the support of all life, each person born into this world possesses a portion of that light. The book of Joseph is very clear on this point. Quote, and I am the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And in another writing it says, quote, For the word of the Lord is truth, and whatsoever is truth is light, and whatsoever is light is spirit, even the spirit of Jesus Christ. And the spirit giveth light to every man that cometh into the world, and the spirit enlighteneth every man through the world that hearkeneth to the voice of the spirit. That's the key word. That hearkens. So, the author of Glimpses Beyond Death's Door confirms our conclusion on page 91. I quote there, As we become accountable here in this mortal existence, we decided whether that light will grow and increase within us as we hearken to the Spirit, or whether it will darken and dim as we shun the Spirit, and most likely if we choose wickedness instead, because it calls to us the pleasures of the world, and that just dampens the light and we lose it. So let's talk about the beauty of the Spirit. So we're changing subjects a little bit here. We're going to talk about the spirits and how beautiful they are of those who progressed in the life after, life after. So this is fascinating. So this comes from page 50 of the Glimpses Beyond Death's Door. Quote, My grandmother had been 96. She never did look old, speaking of the time this person saw her in this uh, death experience. She looked perhaps 40 or 45. My mother was 60 when she died and very overweight, or way overweight. And she looked trim and a good general healthy look, happy and healthy. Everybody looked healthy, real, real healthy. So that is a, a quote then also from the book Recollection of Death, pages 48 to 49. So another made the same observation about the dear friends he met after his death. They did have a physical shape. It's hard to describe, but it somehow combined the youth and vigor of 21-year-olds with a sense of perfect maturity. That comes from the book Return from Death, page 53. So, do you remember we spoke earlier of the light that was so filled with love and knowledge that the person's heart wanted to lunge toward it? And we refer to taking in more and more light. As, as, as you get it, as you, you expand and go, and that's how all that progress is. So, check this out. Uh, the more spirits grow in light and truth, the more beautiful and youthful they look. People who are in heaven progress steadily towards the springtime of life. And the more thousands of years they live, the more pleasant and happy the springtime. This goes on forever, with the increase keeping pace with the growth and the level of their love, charity, and faith. As the years go by, women who have died aged debilitated by age, who have lived in faith in the Lord, charity towards the neighbor, and happy true marriage love with their husbands, come more and more into the flower of youth and young womanhood. 
into a beauty that outstrips every concept of beauty that sight can possibly perceive. So that comes from a book called Heaven and Hell, page 320. Let's talk about the life review that these return from death experiencers had. I think to start with, that is insightful to know this. Here are the writings of one prophet of our 600 BC Hebrews. He says, Christ doth, doeth not anything save it be for the benefit of the world. For he loveth the world, even that he layeth down his own life, that he may draw all men unto him. Wherefore he commanded none that they shall not partake of his salvation. So isn't that interesting? Because it's a, speaking of a double, double, uh, double negative. He is saying that he commanded all that they should partake of his salvation. So commandments are not all restrictive, are they? They are counsel. They, they are invitations to find truth and liberty and, and happiness. So uh, to encourage people to come to them. So come, Christ says, I will give you light and life and love. Dr. George Ritchie perceived that Jesus loved the wicked and depraved beings there with all of his heart, but they would not receive him or his messenger. No condemnation came from the presence at my side, only compassion for these unhappy creatures that were breaking his heart. Clearly, it was not his will that any of them should be in this place. So that comes from a book called Return from Tomorrow, page 65. The Life Review that some got before returning back to their life was very interesting. One story that is intriguing to me is how one man who was being sent back to earth life had a brief life review. He knew of his guilt since all of his life was in front of him. So as a spirit, you just take it all in. And there was not any time past or present or future that he was saying there was. So the being of light who was with him, however, seemed amused to some extent rather than judgmental so that the man was left with the very clear idea that these experiences for, for him were for him to be instructed as experiences of life, and particularly to be better, to improve. So here's a specific example. This is page 203. The light showed me different things I had done, things that weren't very nice, like hurting people's feelings, and things that I could and should have done, things that I could have done nicer, couldn't, uh, couldn't been nicer to more people, helped more people, that type of thing. It was concerned with how I related to other people. Did I care enough? Did I help enough to care and to take care of other people seemed to be a primary function. And yet I didn't feel that it was showing me these things to condemn me. It was more or less for the purpose of understanding. So page 205. The small positive actions also carry great weight. Professor Howard Storm said he found the hypocrisy revealed by his life review nauseating to watch because of the selfish life he had lived, but found a few moments of redemption. Got to see, he relates, when my sister had a bad night on uh, one night, how I went into her bedroom and put my arms around her. I didn't say anything. I just lay there with my arms around her. As it turned out, that experience is one of the biggest triumphs of my life. It comes from a book called Glimpses of Eternity, page 261. So I find that very interesting. So we, we shouldn't be so fearful. First of all, we're going to learn from our bad things we've done. Certainly feel bad, but also have some recognition of what we've done good. So more specifically, 
Those who enjoy this instructive encounter learn that it is the small, seemingly insignificant acts that are important and not the great public achievements and awards. So do you remember how the Savior responded when someone asked him during his life on earth, what was the greatest or first commandment? That's Mark 12, 30 through 31. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Wow, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So isn't it interesting that that bright light of such love and strength that all of these people that experience these return from death moments uh, emphasize the love. Swedenborg, who we've talked about before on page 110, offer this insightful assertion. The reason why the Lord's divine in heaven is love is that love is the vessel of everything heavenly, that is, of peace, intelligence, wisdom, and happiness. For love accepts any and all things suitable to it. It wants them, seeks them out, and soaks them in gladly, so to speak, from a desire constantly to be enriched and fulfilled with them. We can see then that love emanating from the Lord is the vessel of heaven and of everything there. That comes from the book Heaven and Hell, pages 38-39. Uh, also of the time, or the lack of it, and progress of the soul, and why death is a mercy, after doing all that you can in faithfulness, death is a mercy. So on page 120 to 121, it says, I was in a field, and it had high golden grass that was very soft, so bright. The grass swayed. It was very peaceful, very quiet. The grass was so outstandingly beautiful that I will never forget it. Life at death, page 61. Another one. Everything was very defined. On the one hand, but it also had a blending with everything else. The flowers and the flower buds were all like precious stone, rubies and diamonds and sapphires. One that I remember in particular had a yellow color to it, and yet I would relate it to a diamond. All these things were just around flowers. The flowers looked like tulips, and they had the fragrance of roses, strong fragrance of roses. That comes from Heading Toward Omega, page 73. This light did not cast a shadow, which I realized when I cupped my hands tightly together and the palm side was just as light as the back side. There were no sounds of motors or discord or commotions. No sound but the songs of birds and the sounds, yes, sounds of flowers blooming, transformed by the light, page 82. Another one. We were on an island uh, overlooking a wooded rocky bay. The waters were bright with a living quality I had never seen in years of recreational boating. The trees were magnificent, each outlined in its own light. The mountains in the background were stately and calm, each with an indescribable aura. It comes from a book called Journal of Near-Death Studies. So back on page uh, 122 of Glimpses Beyond Death Door. Just about every variety of scenery is mentioned in Return from Death accounts. Mountains, hills, meadows, woodlands, lakes, rivers, streams, waterfalls, all described as beautiful, peaceful, and in glorious hues. 
Flowers there seem to be active rather than passive parts of the landscape. Cattle, horses, sheep, and lions are mentioned as well. A few NDEers, as they call them for short, I guess, in that study group, near-death experiencers, saw buildings and cities as well as, or instead of, landscape. Like everything else in that realm, even the buildings were extraordinary. Page 123. I have seen palaces of heaven, so noble as to defy description. The higher parts glowed as if they were made of pure gold, the lower as though made of precious gems. Each palace was more splendid than the last, inside the same. The rooms were decorated with accessories such that words and art fail to describe them. Outside, there were parks where everything likewise glowed, with here and there leaves gleaming like silver and fruit like gold. The flowers and their plots formed virtual rainbows. Comes from a book, Heaven and Hell, pages 141 and 142. So about the progress that goes on on the other side that we call death. These are the revealing words of an 1800 AD prophet. Knowledge saves a man, and in the world of spirits, no man can be exalted but by knowledge. So long as a man will not give heed to the commandments, he must abide without salvation. But when he consents to obey the gospel, whether here or in the world of spirits, he is saved. Another one who experienced a return from death uh, circumstance, his name is Heber Hell, describes this. Particularly was it observed that the wicked and unrepentant are confined to a certain district by themselves, the confines of which are as def definite, uh, def definitely determined and impassable as the line marking the division of the physical from the spiritual world. A mere film, but impassable until the person himself has changed. So check that out. There was much activity within the different spheres and the appointed ministers of salvation were seen coming from the higher to lower spheres in pursuit of their missionary appointments. Comes from a book called Life Everlasting, page 87. Now here's where I hope to raise your confidence in scriptures, which is to say the writings and witnesses of the prophets of God. This is very interesting and ought to change our perspective to realize what a merciful God that we have. Listen to this from the book of Joseph, our 1800 AD other sheep. Quote, it is not written that there shall be no end to this torment, but it is written endless torment. This is a double negative. Let's look at that or take out the negatives to say it is written that there shall be an end to this torment. What? An end? But then the Lord's words are it is written endless torment. So here's the answer. This is awesome. This is why we got to take our scriptures where, where they all come from and we can know by the Spirit that this is true. Wherefore, I will explain unto you this mystery, for it is meet unto you to know even as mine apostles. For behold, the mystery of godliness, how great it is. For behold, I am endless. The punishment which is given from my hand is endless punishment, for endless is my name. Wherefore, endless punishment is God's punishment. So, do you see where we're turning here? This, this is, this, putting this all together is very exciting. It, it's merciful, just as we read from the near-death experiences further above. When someone learns and repents that they can leave the spirit prison and then progress toward a greater glory, isn't that awesome? So it's not a, a, a 
a punishment that doesn't end. It's a classroom. It's a mercy that if the person will then learn, this is God's punishment. Meaning that as soon as you learn and you come, then you're liberated. So they can leave that classroom and go on to better things. It is not eternal for that person who repents. That is great. Quote, those who have made good use of their opportunities here will have the benefit of their diligence and faithfulness there. Those who have been careless and indifferent and have not acquired knowledge and power through the exercise of faith will find themselves lacking there. Comes from a book called Gospel Truth, page 60. So they can progress. But hopefully you take this as an inspiring positive motive to be diligent, obedient, humble, and to be a servant to others. So let's look at 1 John 4.18 in the New Testament. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. If so, then the opposite is true. If a person lacks love, then they will have fear. And hell is the epitome of fear. It is not God that places a person in hell. He doesn't want them there. The person chooses that for themselves as they shun light and love. And that fits in with our episode one as we're talking about the millennium where the telestial is where we're mixed with righteous and wicked. When Christ comes, those who have progressed to the greater light in this telestial world will be saved for the terrestrial, which is the millennium and that glory. So our last subject then is the purpose of death. This is way cool. Hopefully this will give you more life and hope than ever before. Sounds ironic. Understand death, then you want more life. Maybe that's not so ironic. Maybe that's reasonable. So, quote, To the unbeliever, death is the end of all. Associations terminated, relationships ended, memories soon to fade into nothingness. But to those who have knowledge and faith in the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Death meaning is a change of condition into a wider, more serene sphere of action. It means the beginning of eternal life, a never-ending existence. It means the continuation of family life, the re reuniting of family groups, the perpetuation of friendships, relationships, and associations. That is awesome. Thus, understanding what is important in the next life teaches us what is important in this life because the foundation of our eternal life is laid in mortality. Death is a graduation day for which we are all preparing. Another quote from a book called Gospel Doctrine, page 296. We are born that we may put on mortality, that is, that we may clothe our spirits with a body. Such a blessing is the first step toward an immortal body, and the second step is death. Death lies along the road of eternal progress, and though hard to bear, no one who believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and especially in the resurrection, would have it otherwise. Upon the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, one of the grandest principles of the gospel depends on this. Let's have the author of Glimpses Beyond Death's Door have the last words in conclusion for now. This is page six. Indeed, one of the most remarkable things about return from death experiences is their propensity to completely banish this fear of dying from those who have them. Having once tasted of death, they tend to look forward to passing once again through the veil and entering the spirit world. 
This should be a source of great comfort to those of us who must live on, a, on a faith alone. Perhaps these types of experiences are the bestows of a loving God who desires to each all of his children that death can be a deliverance, not merely a demise. So, let's talk about you. We've talked about death. And we've talked about uh, the ESG scores and all that. And I realize that these things don't totally coincide, but we're overlapping all these things and we have more faith in Christ. I feel that I have previously understood the idea of seeking all things spiritually for the most part. But way back in the high school days, I felt that I had a good relationship with my Heavenly Father. I prayed often. I would even stop in my observations and wonder what God thinks about the various circumstances that uh, we get ourselves into here. So I've leaned on the spiritual most of my life, but this idea of enticements is one of the most impressive and different than before things that I had ever heard. Simply put, things that bother us, enticements, or tempt us, enticements, or things which are just plain inconvenient in our lives, can help us make our days worthwhile. Sounds strange, doesn't it? I hope so. If it sounds strange to you, then we've got an interesting conversation ahead of us. It could change your life. It changed mine. I want progress. I feel very open and excited to learn about something that I do wrong. I mean, what I really want to know is anything that I do which is holding me back, which is another way of saying that I am stopped or dammed up, I'm not progressing. Then I can make a change of my thoughts and actions and that will bring me greater peace, truth, and freedom. I love that. This statement by a prophet, we live far beneath our privileges, may sound negative and uninviting to some, but it is exciting to me. Great, I say. What is it that I can do better? I will change. That is teachable. I think that's one of the greatest characteristics we can have. We make our days worthwhile when we overlay our spiritual world over our temporal world. Then we can make our suffering or affliction useful for our spirituality. If we have to legitimately suffer with pain, then we can realize more of the pain that Christ went through for us when he suffered by being whipped and hung on a cross. Otherwise, it is something that we can fix. Then a spiritual focus will help us have the spirit. Then we can have personal revelation with answers or ideas to help us. Excellent. So that can help me to be more like Christ as I gain spiritual power to overcome the world. I can always win by seeing things spiritually, even if I lose temporally. Still, my point is that our days will now be worthwhile every day as you and I are forging ahead on the straight and narrow path with progress. You will be increasing more and more with spiritual insight and power. Quote, he will endow you with power, wisdom, might, and intelligence, and every qualification necessary while your minds will expand wider and wider until you can circumscribe the earth and the heavens, reach forth into eternity, and contemplate the mighty acts of Jehovah and all their variety and glory. That comes from the writings of Joseph. Here is another point to consider. Progress. If you are overcoming a particular weakness and you do not last more than two days before you repeat the mistake, get up and try again. If you last for four or five days before falling again, that's progress. Do not stop from trying again. The only failure is quitting. You get up and continue again. The next time you last seven days. The next time you go on for three weeks. Before long, you can overcome the problem altogether. 
So this comes from our Hebrews 600 BC people. And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then I will make weak things become strong unto them. I take that back. That was actually our uh, Tower of Babel prophets writings. Opposition in all things. Here it is. This is why enticements can be so useful to our spiritual growth, to give us a need to turn for help. We will either turn to Christ or turn to Satan. So we can use our enticements so that we will remember to turn to Christ often during the day. We can put our pain and our problems and our anger on his shoulders. He has already taken all of the pain and sins of man on his shoulders. I'm not giving him anything else that he hasn't already taken. It's my faith in him now. It's just that I am accepting him and following him. Then I can be free of these soul-dragging symptoms, which would cause me to lose the spirit otherwise. From our 600 BC Hebrews. Wherefore, the Lord God gave unto man that he should act for himself. Wherefore, man cannot act for himself, save it should be that he was enticed by the one or the other. Is that not interesting? So by enticements, we, you're going to turn one way or another. So and another important detail about the opposition that we are faced with is that the earth was designed to give us that opportunity. Oh yes, we are in the midst of a great training ground that was meant to give us the chance to have opposition. This became clearer and clearer as I was considering the down-to-earth examples of becoming spiritually centered in Christ. When I was driving home from work, which only consisted of four or five miles, Remember that story? There were three different cars at three different times which had pulled in front of me and slowed me down. But I immediately turned to prayer to my Father in heaven in the name of Christ. Like this. This is an example prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for this beautiful day you have provided for me. I had a good day at work because of these principles I'm learning about following Christ. I just had a car pull in front of me again. I understand what is going on. I'm grateful to know that this life is a time to practice to be more like Christ. Please bless me to have charity for the driver in front of me. They probably didn't see me or they might be distracted with a problem in their life. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So these are prayers we can have down to earth, explaining our situation. The Spirit can pour into us. This is the beginning of the imp implementation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had known of the gospel through all my church-going days, but I just didn't always understand how to use these principles, particularly in these seemingly mundane inconveniences every, of uh, everyday living. So now this was making more sense. I was less a victim, and I was starting to practice being more like Christ. So a year or two later, I was still practicing these principles, and my understanding was growing, but I didn't always remember. So when I had finished a version of a software release for a client, I figured that I was done with the project manager who didn't seem to care for me much. He made my life miserable, and I was glad to have that over. Yet a couple of months went by when they called me again to do another update to the system. I really didn't know if I wanted to, but I needed the income. I told my wife about my struggle of not wanting to be involved with that project manager again. She says, did you pray for him? And I said, no. I responded slowly, but in my mind, the answer was more fully like, no, why would I want to do that? I hate the guy. But it was still a good reminder. Ultimately, maybe later that night or the next day, I did pray for him. 
And something very intriguing happened. As I was praying for him and his well-being, and I explained to my God in heaven that I was reluctant to take the project because of my feelings, you know, for the opposition that he gave me so heavily, uh, I had an outpouring of love for him. I really became concerned for him. And it seemed that I could certainly handle working with him again. So, big turnaround. Interestingly enough, that same project manager was removed from his position. I don't know if he was fired or if he looked down uh, or, or if he looked for work elsewhere, but that position seemed to be one of those that someone wouldn't want to give up, but that he did. He must have been fired. I don't know. I felt for him. I may have even prayed for him again that he would have some work that was good for him and that he would you know, be taken care of. But it seemed clear to me that since I had learned my lesson to love him, instead of despise him, that the obstacle was removed from before me so that I could get on with the work of that important project. If all things have their opposite, what is the opposite of a prayer to our Father in Heaven? That would be a prayer to Satan. Have you ever considered yourself guilty of praying to Satan? How about something like this? If that son of mine doesn't do what I asked him to do, oh, I'm going to get him good. And you have some rather hard feelings, hard talking and some rough treatment in mind. I believe that that person who fosters that kind of ultimatum in their mind is leaning on the side of Satan. What other ways do we think we actually turn to Satan in our moments of distress? I think that we might be in a state of denial if we think that a prayer is only Christ-sided. Watch your Satan prayers. So there was a young couple, change of story here. There was a young couple who, uh, were, they were doing well financially. They were free and carefree. They had their first child who had just completed his first birthday. They seemed content, but they did not invite God into their lives. They knew of the option to seek after spiritual insight, but they chose against it. It tied up their Sundays. It was ridiculed by their friends. It seemed to get in the way of their life of travel and play and freedom. They leaned on the worldly things around them, which led them to vices of drinking and rudeness and dishonesty. On a tragic day, their car was hit with heavy impact on a fast intersection. Their young child was killed. The two of them were in recovery for some time. Their, uh, their lives had been shattered. The child was the love of their life, but she was taken from them. They were humbled and distraught. They had a lot of time to think. At times they were angry, but in the end, they were meek. They looked for answers. They found God, and they turned to Him often for hope and comfort. They found the peace they were looking for in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Families can be together. Life is eternal. Come unto God and live. Was this a tragedy? Yes, in the taking of a life. Was this a tragedy? No, not from the eternal perspective. It saved their lives and gave them eternal life. They were awakened to their spiritual selves. For the worth of the soul is great in the sight of the Lord. In the eternal perspective, they were saved from pain and suffering. They could have joy on earth, and their daughter, who is waiting for them on the other side of the veil, would be the reminder. And we have learned of life after death. This life is short. Be humble, be meek. Speaking of reminders, Consider this, when someone reminds you of something that you had done wrong, you should have joy, you should be glad to be reminded. That gives you a chance to remember how you felt when you were forgiven. That helps you review the promise of Christ. 
then you can have joy all over again for the promises of Christ. You follow Him, you have chosen Him, you know that He will be the advocate of, for you to take you back in the presence of your Heavenly Father. That's the purpose of the millennium. Do you remember that conversation in episode one? And then you remember that eternal life is the greatest gift of all. In contrast, if you suddenly allow all those mistakes of your past to flood in on you, and put you into depression, then you are threatening to abandon the atonement of Christ. As if the atonement, all of a sudden, is not good enough for you. When the prophets speak of enduring to the end, I doubt that it is endurance as in pain and brute strength, as if you're hanging on with your muscles before your muscles give out. I believe it is endurance as in the joy of the witness of the forgiveness of Christ and endurance and progress and patience. It is not stagnant or just trying to hold your position. It is forging ahead, being constant in your witness of truth and righteousness. Remember, the yoke of Christ is easier than the yoke of the world. You should find yourself liberated and happy in peace and find peace in Christ. So maybe we should change the wording. Let's call it carrying out your belief, faith, and rejoicing. So carry on. Progress in your practicing to be like Christ as he will endow you with power, wisdom, might, and intelligence and every qualification necessary. Your mission, if you choose to accept it. The mission for principle number one, feeling the spirit every day to know that I'm on the straight and narrow path, is similar to this commitment. You wear something to remind you to pray often or even to put an uncomfortable coin in your shoe. Maybe we're suggesting that now. But now the enticements are used to remind you to turn to Christ. These enticements can be everything from the temptation to eat the wrong type of food, a noisy child, an obnoxious coworker, people's driving habits, or the lack of money. Use your enticements to immediately turn to Christ in prayer. Pray sincerely and specifically to explain your current circumstances. Ask for help. Ask for the way to be open for you. You can also choose a favorite hymn that you know the words. Uh, so you can hum it to yourself or even repeat the words quietly if you're among other people. Um, in any case, in any time, you can turn your heart to Christ. Truly raise your heart up. In episode 6, on the world subject, we will talk about how the real pandemic, crown sickness, global coordination, mail-in ballots, Bill Gates, World Health Organization, and economic doom, how all those things relate together. On the subject of Christ, we will talk about who is Satan, what is he doing, what is his motive, and we'll talk about the two beasts of John's revelations, which also correspond with Daniel's revelations, by the way. On the subject of you, we will talk about how to be thankful in all your adversities. That's a good one. So until episode six, I look forward to it.